Pastor Alan, glad to have you with us. Um, I'm a little under the weather, so I'm going to be doing this teaching four times today. This is the second. <clears throat> so I covet your prayers to, that I manage to get through <clears throat> without too much uh, clearing of my throat. We're in a series called The End Commandments, and this is actually the final installment. Uh, if you missed any or want to go back and hear them, they're on our website. <clears throat> Next week, it's already been stated. It's Mother's Day, and we'll talk about mothers, not to give mothers a guilt trip, but to celebrate mothers. So that's next week. So please join us, as already been stated. In this series, we've been talking about Jesus coming to earth and saying, I'm going to do something new. We're going to start something new. We're going to do something different. Relationship with God, connecting with God, etc. Now, I don't know about you, but companies will put out a product and say new and improved. I'm a skeptic, and I think, oh, they just put a new box, the same stuff in the old box. Well, this is not like that. Jesus actually said, I'm going to do something completely new. This is going to be not connected to the Old Testament at all, not to Judaism. This is a way for you to connect with God. In fact, not you, but everybody to connect with God. And he did some teachings, did some miracles, and then he died. <laughs> and of course, the Messiah, Son of God, can't die, so then he just kind of wiped out everything he said until three days later. And when he resurrected, <clears throat> it changed everything. And so what did he, instructions did he give the disciples? Did he say, okay, I want you to go hide. I want you to build a monastery and just kind of huddle together, have a holy, holy huddle. Is that what he instructed them to do? No, remarkably, they're only a small group. He said, I want you to take my teachings to the whole world, not just to Jew people like you, but to everyone, small group of people, big world. Take, take it to everyone. So we're calling this a resurrection religion because that's basically all they had. Um, the Jews could use the Old Testament, but the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, like most of us, who weren't uh, Jewish and became Jesus followers, they didn't care about the Old Testament. They had no New Testament. There was no Bible, actually, for like 300 years. Paul hadn't started writing. The, the, the apostles didn't start write, writing. So all they had was what they could recollect about Jesus, his miracles, his teaching, and the fact that he was resurrected. And as we said, if you can predict your death and resurrection, everything else is uh, <clears throat> small potatoes after that, right? Um, he said, I want you to teach all these people what I've commanded you. So the key is, well, what are we supposed to tell them? What are we supposed to teach them? What, we, what, what did he command us to do? And so we're looking at them. We're calling them the end commandments. The end stands for knots. These are five knots that Jesus told his disciples not to do. And these aren't normal commands like don't, don't uh, lie or don't steal or do that kind of, don't kill anybody. Uh, these are things we don't even think like are, are commands. These are things we don't even think are realistic not to do. These are things we just do. And these aren't, these aren't even things we're tempted to do. We just do them. We don't even think about doing them. Like fear. Well, I get afraid without being tempted to get afraid. Uh, sinning, we all sin. Uh, worry, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, right? Just don't, just don't worry. Uh, last week we talked about judging. That's a tough one. And we're going to give you one more today. But after the resurrection, the disciples had an aha moment, I believe. 
that stuff all seemed ridiculous, seemed impossible. But if Jesus can predict his death again and, and, and resurrection, then maybe we'll take these things seriously. Maybe these things are possible. These are things that may make a difference, may make a difference in the world, change the world. So we're going to look at the last one today. This is a really important one because it in- incorporates all the others we talked about. And here it is. Thou shalt not doubt. Right, right? No, just, just, just no doubts. Just, just don't do it. Don't go there. And all these are things we just don't debate and then decide to do it or not. We don't decide, oh, at 3 o'clock this afternoon, I'm going to start worrying. Or at 9 o'clock tonight, I'm going to start being afraid. Or tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to start doubting. These are things that sneak up on us. They just grab us. They just engulf us. They just they take us over sometimes. Now, as a pastor, I'm asked lots of different questions. But there's basically about four big categories of things I get asked. I get asked questions about sex. I get asked questions about money. I get que- asked questions about God's will. Is it God's will I do this? Is God's will I do that? Et cetera, et cetera. And then the last biggie I get is this one. And so when somebody comes to me and says, oh, pastor, do you ever doubt do you ever think maybe this or maybe that? And my answer is always no. Never, never. I never doubt. Not an issue. Of course it is. We all doubt. Sometimes I wake up and think, is any of this real? And if it's a big deal to you, what, you think it's a big deal to me. I've spent my whole life committed to this stuff. What if it wasn't real? So a doubt for me is all-encompassing because it encompasses my career. Now, the reason, or when we start doubting or when I start doubting, it goes back to the foundations of my faith. I forget that. And it's not even the Bible. We talked about this. The Bible's really big. It's really important. But 300 years, the church didn't have a Bible. Um, the foundation of my faith is that Jesus was the Son of God. He died and came back to life. I serve a, a, a God who's alive, who's risen. Everything else is secondary after that. <clears throat> if that's not true, then none of it's true. If that's true, then all of it's true. When I forget that, that's when I start to doubt. And, we, and when we're doubting, we usually ask two big questions. First one says, is it worth it? Is this whole Christianity thing worth it? Is the sacrifice worth it? Is, it? is it worth it not doing the things that, you know, my friends do? And is it worth it doing the things I need to do, like sitting in church for an hour on Sunday morning? Is it worth it? You know, I could be doing lots of other things during this hour, right? Is it worth it? And the second big question is, is it true? You know, is this Bible, stuff in the Bible true? Is preacher guy gets up and talks? Is it what he says is true? Is it true? Because we look at our circumstances and we think, all right, if God's who he says he is, why is there so much suffering in the world? And we've all been asked this question. We all thought about this question. You know, why, why are these, you know, these things not working out better? And then we get real personal about it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> why aren't my relationships better? Why aren't my finances better? Why, why isn't my health better? Why isn't, you know, I don't have a better job. Maybe I don't have a job. Why haven't I found that special person to spend the rest of my life with? Why, why, why? We ask all these questions. We look at our circumstances and think, is it worth it or is it even true? And we often shift from the worth it to the true because if it's not true, then we don't have to ask questions if it's worth it, does it, do we? If it's not true, just, just, just forget it all. <clears throat> and I'm not saying it shouldn't enter your mind. Um, the fact that, yeah, I don't know about all this stuff. 
No, that's, that's, that's this normal. Um, uh, Martin Luther said this about temptation. Uh, you, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. Same thing with doubt. You can't stop doubt from flying over your head, going in one, one ear and out the other, so to speak. But you can keep it, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You can keep it from dwelling on it, or letting it, as we're, we're going to say, take you out. So here's some good news about doubt in the first century. First, 100% of Jesus' first century followers doubted. All of them doubted, even the big guys, the important ones, people you know by name. Let's talk about a couple of them. There was John the Baptist, for example. Jesus comes to him and wants to be baptized, and John had been out in the wilderness preaching, and he baptizes Jesus, and when he does that, he declares, and this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. So you think, John's got this figured out, right? Later he gets in prison, locked up in jail, and if you know the story, he never gets out. In fact, he gets his head cut off. <clears throat> in jail, he sends his disciples to Jesus and say, hey, uh, John wants to know if you, you, you're who you say you are. If you're the one we're supposed to follow or somebody else co- coming after you. So John, <laughs> who baptized Jesus, made his declaration. He doubted. What about the 12 disciples? They all doubted. When Jesus got arrested, what did they, what did they all do? They all ran off. They all took off. <laughs> they all doubted right up to the end. They all doubted. In fact, one of them gets a special nickname. And if you grew up in church, you know this. Doubting what? Doubting Thomas. You know, he said, ah, Jesus isn't resurrected. I know he told us, but he couldn't have came back to life. I won't believe unless I put my finger in a, a hole in his hand. So what's Jesus do? He shows up. Says, okay, here, Thomas, go ahead. Stick your finger in there. Doesn't he? That's what happens. But that teaches us another lesson about <clears throat> uh, Jesus and the and the doubts of the first, first century Christians. Jesus doesn't toss you out if you doubt. He didn't say to Thomas, get out of here, Thomas. If you're not going to believe me when I said, without seeing the nail prints in my hands and feet, then I have nothing to do with you. Jesus doesn't toss us out when we doubt. But also, really important, you don't have to have all your doubts worked out. This is a biggie. Because sometimes we think we've got to have it all figured out. We have to understand it all to believe anything. And if I can't understand it all, if I don't believe it all, then I don't believe any of it. That's not true. You're never going to understand it all. Are you? You're not. So you don't have to have all your doubts worked out. But the flip side of this is, this is really important. That's why we're talking about this this morning. Doubt can take you out. Doubt can take you out. So Jesus knew this, knew how important this was, and so he repeatedly taught this, especially to his closest followers. So we're going to look at three different times that Jesus addressed this issue. The first time is with Peter. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Peter and the disciples in a boat, they're out rowing all night in the, in the Sea of Galilee and haven't made it across yet. It's really late at night, early in the morning, and uh, Jesus comes walking by. Hey, guys, see you on the other side, you know. And uh, they're, they're afraid at first. They think it's a ghost. And they said, no, it's just me. And then Jesus, uh, Peter had the insight to say, hey, if you, uh, 
if you command this, if you call me out, I can do this too, right? I don't think most of us would have thought of that. Peter thought of that. And he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, come on. And so we're going to pick the story up there. Peter's out walking on the water. When he, Peter, saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. Now, there were strong winds and waves before he walked on the water, but evidently he was distracted or whatever. But now he's focused on it, and he says, uh, on the fact that he was walking on water, and he began to sink. Now, it must have been kind of a slow thing rather than a fast thing. <laughs> I don't know. He began to sink, and he, he shouts, save me, Lord. And that's a great prayer. We probably all pray that prayer. Save me, Lord. Help. You ever been in a situation you just cried out to God, help? You don't know what else to do? Good prayer, because in this case, it was answered. And hopefully in your cases, it was answered. <clears throat> so Jesus, this is response was he reached out and grabbed him. He saved him. He helped him. But the story doesn't end there. <laughs> then he says to Peter, you have so little faith. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm thinking about this. He actually walked on water. I never, I've never done that. Anybody ever done that? He actually walked on water, and, and Jesus is telling him, you have so little faith. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but... This is a minor miracle to Jesus. And one of those reasons we've kind of figured out ways of kind of doing that, surfing and other things today, right? We can stay up in the water. <clears throat> so this wasn't a biggie. Plus, a lot of people didn't see it. But here's the crux of the matter. Why did you doubt me? <laughs> why did you doubt me? Now, you can have doubts about other things, but why do you doubt me? Your Messiah, your Savior, God. <clears throat> Why? Why did he doubt? We can kind of summarize it in this statement. Why he doubted and why you and I doubt. He started to doubt when he thought it might not work out. This is crazy. I shouldn't be able to walk on water, right? I'm going to sink. And then when he thought about I'm going to sink, he started to sink. So this is a big deal to him. It was a big deal to us. Because we look around us. And when we start to think it might not work out, we start to doubt. It might be some relationship, parent, child, spouse. It may be some work situation. It may be a job itself. Maybe you, again, uh, <clears throat> you're looking for that special someone, haven't found them. Could be a health-related issue, financial issue. All kinds of scenarios. When we look, at our, look around and we think, ah, I don't think this is going to work out. Then we begin to doubt. And we ask, again, these two big questions. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep trying? Is it worth it to hang in there? Is it worth it doing the right thing? Is it worth it? And secondly, is it true? Is all this stuff true? Stuff I read in the Bible, stuff I hear at church, stuff I hear, stuff I hear sung about. Is it real? Is it true? Now, if it's true, this is the, the biggie, right? If it's true, then you and I have to do it, right? I have to not fear and not worry and, and even not sin. If it's true, I've got to at least try. Now, something else I believe Jesus is telling us here, it's okay not to see how it's all going to work out. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't have to have any faith. You wouldn't have to have any trust. There wouldn't be any reason for doubt. If you, oh, yeah, well, I know it's bad now, but this is going to happen. This is going to. If you could see, there wouldn't be doubt. So this is kind of a minor thing that Jesus, it seemed big to us, but it's kind of minor. <clears throat> Jesus, another time, gets his disciples aside, and he wants to talk to them about, about this topic of doubt. And this is a teaching that I need to apologize from some of my colleagues, other preachers, because some segments of the church really get this wrong. And maybe you come from that background, um, so hopefully I can help you explain exactly what it's, what it's talking about. Jesus said to them, this guy's group of disciples, I tell you the truth, or this is true, if you have faith and don't doubt, if you really truly believe, if you have confidence in me, if you trust me, if you're not going to give up on me, you can do some things. What does he say you can do? You can do things like this and much more. You can even say to the mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Now, the misinterpretation of this is, hey, you can dream up anything you want and just believe hard enough. You can force God to do it. Now, even logically, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But there are some some segments of the church that kind of teach this. It's kind of like God is your little genie. Or he's a magician, and you control him, and you can get him to do what you want to do. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's God, not you, right? Really doesn't make a lot of sense. And to the disciples, that wouldn't even have crossed their mind. They had an Old Testament concept or view of God. They realized that God was God, was God and God was powerful, and they respected God enough to think, oh, that would be absurd <laughs> to misinterpret that that way. <clears throat> so what is Jesus really saying? I think it's this. What God originates, what God desires, what God plans, God will carry out. God will orchestrate it if you don't doubt. Now, here, here's the fantastic thing. God wants to do all, all kinds of amazing things, and he's done all kinds of amazing things. And he wants to use you and I to do it. He invites you and I to participate. That's mind-boggling in itself. But we have the choice to doubt or believe. Of course, if we doubt, then it doesn't happen. Uh, we miss out. We doubt, we miss out. And you and I have no way of knowing what we're missing out. What we've missed out on already, what we possibly could miss out in the future. Now, to the disciples, it was a big deal. <clears throat> because in the last story we're going to look at, they almost disappeared. And if any of you are named Peter, Andrew, James, or John, you'd probably have a different name today, like Bartholomew or something else. Because they came this close missing out. This is fundamental to them and it's fundamental to you and I as we read this last uh, incident from Jesus' life. He just performed this great miracle. He had fed, the Bible says, 5,000 men along with women and children. So you can add it up, 10, 15, 20,000 people. 
As amazing as that is, food was a big deal back then. People didn't have cupboards and refrigerators full of food like you and I do. They may have had food for that day and wondering where it was going to come for the next day. So free food. Everybody showed up. They show up today for free food. People show up today for free food, right? Well, they certainly did back then. So Jesus is using this as an opportunity to do some, some teaching, so you get some more important, you know, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. I have words that will feed you and give you eternal life. In fact, then he goes and said some weird stuff like, you need to eat my flesh and, and drink my blood. And, and, and the, the crowd, he's trying to be creative, trying to teach about something more eternally important. And the crowd just uh, takes it wrong, <laughs> for a better way of saying it. <laughs> Excuse me. So, in John chapter 6, this is a follow-up to the big miracle. Many of his disciples, now this is not the 12, this is like the hundreds. Many of the hundreds, or the thousands in this case, right, said, this is very hard to understand. This is confusing. This is almost gross. You know, eat your, drink your blood and eat your, eat your body. How could anyone accept it? Why would anybody believe that? Why would anybody want to do that? That's just weird. And so he goes on. From this time, many, not a couple, not a few, but many. So we got 20,000, 10, 15, 20,000, say maybe half. Who knows what many is. Turned back and no longer followed him. Yeah, we can follow Jesus while you're feeding us. You know, start talking about this weird stuff, eating your blood. Yeah, that, we're out of here. And they're gone. Now, this is really important because the crowd was critical to Jesus. The crowd was what kept Jesus safe. His enemies wanted to get at him, but they couldn't because of the crowd. He was popular. And if they, were, they appeared to be against Jesus, then the people would be against them. So they kept waiting and waiting, and finally they arrested and went at night when nobody was around disciples, and they ran off. So the crowd was critical. So up until now, his popularity had been building, and now things began to change. This is like a turning point in Jesus' ministry. So a bunch of them leave. There's still a bunch, bunch, but, you know. So what about the 12? Yeah, you know, you're popular, Jesus, so we're popular. This is pretty cool. You're, you know, when you're right and left, uh, we're just kind of part of the gang. So you're popular, we're popular. Now you're not so popular. So we're not so popular. Now again, they had no idea what hung in the balance as the people that walked away. Just like you and I have no idea what hangs in the balance of us, of us doubting or believing. So then Jesus turns to these guys they just observed all this. And Jesus can read minds, I believe. But I don't think he had to read minds here. He could just kind of, <laughs> normal psychology, realize what, what the disciples were thinking. He turned to him and asked, are you also going to leave? Okay, I'm not as popular as you used to be. You're going to take off too? Good question. Simon Peter, often spokesman, he, he, he responds, he answers. Simon Peter replies, <clears throat> now, what he says is maybe the best teaching I know of in Scripture to help you and I with our 
doubts. And he asks a question you and I can ask in that situation. Here it is. To whom would we go? Now, I want us all to say it together and put I in place of the we, okay? Lord, but come on. Lord, to whom would I go? So when you and I are caught up in our doubts, ask yourself this simple question. Well, to whom would I go? Kind of cuts through all the confusion, all the fog, all the <laughs> questions. Well, I, it doesn't look good or I don't understand this. But, if not you, who? Now, curiosity is good. Questioning is good because often you come to some understanding and some clarity. That's all good. But if not Jesus, who? You getting a better offer? (laughs) Is there a better alternative out there? Maybe you're young. In high school or getting out of high school, a young adult, <clears throat> you find something in the Bible you don't agree with, don't understand, somebody convinced you something's not right. Okay. Let me ask you. To whom will you go? Got a better offer? See, doubt whispers, is it true? Is it really true? I don't know if it's true. But Jesus whispers... You only have to figure out if it's true or not. Because if not me, who? And Peter goes on to explain why he's saying that. He says, you have the words that give eternal life. Now, you find that anyplace else? Anybody else offering that? You get that down at the corner store? I don't think so. You have the words that give eternal life. So we believe, we know that you are the Holy One of God. Kind of cuts through all the fog and questions and doubts, doesn't it? Then Jesus responds. You ain't seen nothing yet, bro. Not exactly, but uh, that's a little uh, paraphrasing. (laughs) But that's true. He just fed 5,000. They were going to do amazing things, far more important things. In fact, It's because of them that you and I are here today, 2,000 years later. That's why some guys up here talking about these guys that lived 2,000 years ago. Is it worth it? In your marriage, in your other relationships, in your finances. Because after the resurrection, these doubters became shouters. It's a non-issue after that. Again, if you can raise from the dead, everything else really doesn't matter. They knew. <laughs> they knew. And that was the foundation of their faith, and that's the foundation of your faith and my faith. You and I will never know what God would have done if we allowed our doubts to take us out. Maybe you're a single adult. Haven't found that special someone yet. And you're thinking, is it worth it? Hanging in there and waiting. Or maybe you should just grab for whoever you get. 
Better be with somebody than nobody. But I'll need to compromise my beliefs. You never know what God could do and what you'll lose out on if you let your doubts take you out. Maybe you're a generous person. Maybe you're generous with your time, generous with your money. I know we give out financial statements quarterly and at the end of the year. <laughs> and if you're a tither, I hope you are. That means give, you know, give God 10%. If you look at that at the end of the year, and you think, oh, that's a lot of money. What a, I could have done this with that. I could have done that with that. You never know what God would have done to let your doubts take you out. Yeah, I'll use that money for something else. Maybe you're in a tough marriage. And you know God wants you to hang in there. You've been to counseling, it doesn't seem to work. Uh, we just are so disconnected. We just, uh, yeah. But God says, hey, yeah. Must be for a lifetime. You never know what God would have done if you allow your doubts to take you out. I don't know your scenario, whatever it might be. <clears throat> the bottom line question then is, to whom shall I go? <laughs> what better alternatives are out there? So we've been talking about this for six weeks. Why should we take it seriously? And not because Jesus was a great teacher, but because he was a dead and now is alive. What if we took it seriously? Let's just review real quick and we'll be, be finished. First week talked about being unhitched. You do not have to become Jewish to become a Jesus follower. In fact, if, we, if you remember back, it was like two little rules they gave them to become Jesus followers. That was it. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He's son of God. I choose to follow him. That's about it. Following Jesus, changing together. We talked about fear not. <clears throat> Even when there's something that naturally should be afraid of. Like, I guess, death. Don't need to be afraid of the things that you naturally be afraid of. Then we talked about sin not. Not because God's going to get you, God's going to punish you. Because God loves you and wants what's best for you. And there are consequences to sin. Worry not. Why not worry? Because God, again, cares. He knows. He promises to take care of it. Relax. And then judge not. This, you know, some people up and write them off. Or even some, you know, some people up and, and walk away. No, 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 no. We can deal with our issues so we can help other people deal with their issues. And doubt not because we have no idea what God wants to do in and through you. That you'll miss out on if you doubt. Please, 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 join us next week. We'll talk about mothers, obviously, and not to guilt trip on mothers, but to celebrate mothers. I had a great mom, and I'm sure most of you do too. So um, I'll have a, a closing a, a prayer and a song, and then we'll let you all go. Father God, thank you. <laughs> Doubt's kind of a natural thing, kind of just, just happens. Hopefully these... These teachings of Jesus will help us uh, get through that quickly without much damage. <laughs> Certainly not take us out.
Simple question. What, what out there, what better alternatives do we have? I don't know of any. Maybe here this morning you've tried some of them. How's it work for you? Maybe one of those, one of those folks that have hung in there, in that tough situation, and ideally you're on the other side of it now, and you look back and think, wow. My doubts didn't take me out. In fact, God did this great, great thing because I chose to believe. Of course, it all starts with that initial belief, stepping across that line, accepting the fact that this guy named Jesus walked here on earth. He died and then he rose and conquered death, paid for your sin and mine so we could be connected with God, have a personal relationship with God Almighty, not only now but for eternity. So I have the privilege to invite you to step across that line this morning. You don't have to do a lot, change a lot, know a lot. Just say, I, I believe I want to follow. Everything else will happen after that. God, I thank you for all the folks here. I don't know their situation, but you do. You know them perfectly. You know their needs. You know their doubts. There's a prayer of a guy in, in, in Scripture that said, I, I want to believe, God, help my unbelief. So we want to voice that prayer when we doubts cross our minds. Help our unbelief. Help us not to doubt. We thank you that you choose to and will answer that prayer. God, just, just do what you need to do in our lives this, at this time and this week uh, because you love us. We love you. As you command us, we love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.